you would please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 to 19 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who is not, has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You may be seated. Before we pray this morning, we want to just remind you of the opportunity of uh, joining in our missions course, which begins on September 19th, and the whole church is invited. It's structured as a six-week course. We'll be having some guest speakers that are going to really address the whole issue of God's heart for the nations how each of us can participate in what God has commanded us to do. And we are so excited about that and just pray that you would cons prayerfully consider um, being part of this class. Our goal is for you to know what missions is all about and to make it your own and to understand that every Christian has a role in missions, whether it's directly being sent out by the Lord, supporting, encouraging through financial support, through prayer. All of this is ours and we want to be really focused on it. So uh, child care, by the way, is provided for those who need it. And uh, so just in invite you down to join with me as we look at a short video. When I heard the phrase, the Great Commission, I honestly was, was a little confused. I didn't really know what it was. I remember the very first time I heard these words after I became a Christian, and they turned my world upside down. The Great Commission is not just an early believer's thing. The Great Commission is for every believer in every age and every stage. There are hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus who want to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Give up your story and join God's story. He wants to give you a role to join Him, to reach the ends of the earth. It's all about His glory through Jesus being praised among all nations. So as we pray today, we want to especially remember uh, Patty Morris, who has spent the better part of the last 40 years serving the Lord in missions in Lyon, France, and uh, she is now coming home to be closer to family. And when I heard the phrase, the Great Commission, I honestly was, was a little confused. Join with me now as we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can come boldly before your throne and expect that you would hear and receive our prayers and that you would answer each and every one according to your perfect will. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we understand today that we can only come to you as holy and purified people. And that only happens because the Lord Jesus himself became sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we might know your very righteousness. Lord, we thank you that the Lord Jesus shed his blood to be the payment for our sins, to wipe it out, 
to make us holy and pure, that we indeed might come before you and expect that you would hear and receive us. And Lord, we thank you for that. Cause us today to recognize, Lord, the power of your spirit in our lives, the power of your word embedded in our hearts. And may, Lord, we be a people who love you with the whole heart, to love you with our, our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. And Lord, we pray that uh, even today, that as we come before you, that as you purify our hearts by the power of your word, that we would be a people, Lord, that are committed to serving you in all that we do, rightly proclaiming your word, rightly proclaiming the glory of the gospel of Christ, Lord, serving you sacrificially in all that we do. And Father, we pray now your strength upon us, your power upon us, your word upon us today as we we hear your word proclaimed. Lord, may we be faithful hearers and then, Father, faithful doers based on your word. So, Lord, today we commit our hearts to you anew. We commit our lives to you, and we ask that you would bless all that we would do even this day in this place as we worship as a body of believers. And Lord, we want to remember especially Patty. We're thankful for her and her so many years of service to you in Lyon. And Lord, we pray that uh, even as uh, she returns, that you would cause her heart to rejoice even as she mourns the the leaving of those friends that she had had these many years. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to bear fruit through the work of, of righteousness which she has done in that place. And so, Lord, we commit her to you, and we thank you for Patty. And now we commit the rest of our service to you. We thank you for these moments together. Pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look quickly at Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and we this morning have a chance to sing we'll sing these lyrics so the deep deep love of Jesus vast unmeasured boundless free rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me underneath me all around me is the current of his love leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Would you stand as we sing these words together?
we're just going to sing the chorus together, and then as you listen and you learn, uh, please sing with us. Oh 
Father God, help us to be a people that can sing truth like this, but not just with our mouths, not just proclaiming from our diaphragm. God, would this be truth that resonates deep within our soul, that our hearts and our minds and our souls in unison could proclaim that it is well, not based on our goodness, not based on anything we've earned, but based on the blood of Christ, the work of Christ, finish on the cross. It is well with our soul because we know the one that cares for our soul. God, we love you. Would you help us to love you more? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the word rightly handled, and why every church and Christian must do this. I want you to hear these words again, beginning at verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord Depart from iniquity. That is a chunky passage full of lots of juicy goodness, isn't it? Uh, There's a special emphasis I'm going to give today on verse 15. The bottom line on top is this, that Christ expects and enables his church to handle his word accurately. Christ expects and enables his church to handle his word accurately. Because there is a famine in the land for the word handled rightly. Plenty of people who profess to proclaim it precisely and purely, and few actually pull it off. There's outright plain heresy going on, and there's also lots of folly and foolishness. There's a lot of people saying that God's word is not enough, that it isn't their authority. And they say it in subtle and not-so-subtle ways. I was just in the Austin, Texas airport this week, uh, coming back from Tennessee from dropping off one of our kids in college, and there was a place in the airport that struck and and really grabbed my attention because it was this spot in the airport where you could pretend you were going on an imaginary flight. It was called the Inter-Imaginary Flight Section. There were departures to imaginary places such as Genovia and Snark Island, and this is the way a lot of people come to the Word of God. They, they start with their imagination. Uh, they handle the Word of God in an imaginary way as they imagine it must be. The human ideas are getting pushed into Scripture so that people rely more on human wisdom than the wisdom of God. People will say things like, and, and Christians will say this to each other, follow your heart. Now, Jesus said, follow me. You know, your heart is desperately wicked. People will say, be true to yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. People will say, oh, you believe in yourself. 
Jesus says, no, believe in me. People will say, live your truth. I've heard Christians say this to people. Live your truth. No, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Plenty of people will say, well, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. Well, Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? How happy will you be then? There are lots of Christians giving unbiblical advice, and uh, there are many churches doing anything but preach the word. Reframing human sexuality and gender roles into self-centered, hearty approval of error and sin. There are a lot of Christians today that are playing imagination station with the Bible and even changing the name of sin so it's not so bad. Instead of sin, it's a mistake. Instead of murdering human babies, it's my body, my choice. Instead of mental illness, it's gender dysphoria. Instead of fornication, it's seeking intimacy. Instead of drunkenness, it's having fun. Instead of harmful gossip, it's sharing your heart. Instead of gluttony, it's getting a good deal. Instead of greed, it's shop till you drop. And by the way, if you hear the word of God and are convicted by it, all you have to do is say the preacher is engaging in hate speech. There's millstone judgment and more for those who would trifle with the word of God, handle it inaccurately, handle it carelessly, or who do not care. And there is a stricter condemnation, as James 3 tells us, for those like myself who would dare to stand up and teach and preach it. We must cling to faithful words, the word of God, the scriptures, sound words. And this is a theme that is running throughout the pastoral letters. Now, Second Timothy, where we are today, and really for the next couple weeks, is the last letter written by Paul. It was written during his second Roman imprisonment, after his fourth missionary journey, sometime between A.D. 64 and 68. He was under arrest. He was awaiting trial and execution. Most of his friends had gone elsewhere. He was troubled by the actions of false teachers. He'd been encouraged. He'd been encouraged by people like Onesiphorus. And here was Timothy, still in Ephesus, where Paul had left him. False teaching in Ephesus, which was addressed in his first letter, continued to be a problem. And here is Paul, deeply bonded to Timothy. He wanted to see him one last time. And so he says to him in this letter, you come to Rome, and he also says in this letter, I want to encourage you personally in your ministry. Everyone loves encouragement. But he wanted to encourage him especially as it pertained to the word of God. The Timothy was called to preach the word of God in season and out of season, whether people listened or not, even with you know, opponents opposing no matter what, stand firm in the unchanging and unchained word of God. So here is Paul, chained to a soldier, finishing well, uh, giving his famous last faithful words, and it's focused on Jesus and the word of God. And focus our attention today on what is most important, that Jesus expects and enables his church to handle the word of God accurately. What I want to do today is give you three reasons why. Three reasons why every church and every Christian needs to handle God's word accurately. 
This isn't just for pastors and preachers. This is for the whole church. Three reasons why every church and every Christian need to handle the word accurately. Let me give them to you right now. Number one, because it glorifies God. It glorifies God. Number two, because it strengthens the faith of the church. Strengthens the faith of the church. And third, it gives the world what it really needs. It gives the world what it really needs. So three reasons why every church and every Christian need to handle the word of God accurately. You and I need to hear this today. First thing, handling the word of God accurately glorifies God. You must honor the glory of God. If you're a Christian, you must honor the glory of God. Put your eyes on verse 14. Paul does a lot of reminding. He starts, remind them. Basically, causing the people to remember. Like, remember something specific. He's literally saying, you call to their attention so that they would hyper-remember. So that they would remember in a very zealous way. He says to Timothy, you charge them before God. This is about the glory of God. This is about life and death. This is about the Lord Jesus. Charge them before the Lord. Solemnly do it. About priority one in the universe and in the church and in the Christian life. It's about glorifying God. So he says in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He says, do your best. That's not the best translation. You know, it's not, oh, try hard, and if you can do it, great, but if you don't get to it, it's okay. It's like your punch list in the day. Well, I got two things done, but I didn't get this other thing done. He's not talking about that. Oh, he is insisting on something. So when he says, do your best, that's, you know, not a great translation there. He's not saying, just try hard. You know, one of my kids, all my kids ran track and cross country in high school, some in college, and I had one kid in particular that would always finish a race and say, I could have gone faster. I'm like, then go back and do that. <laughs> okay? You didn't try hard enough? What? You've got to give it your all. When I ran, I left everything on the track. So do your best. That is not the best way to put it here. It's not try hard and if you get around to it, you know, uh, like I tried but I couldn't do it. No, this is the idea of diligence. This is the idea of persistent earnestness. This is zealous, being zealously wrapped up in something. And the Spirit of God had Paul tell Timothy to be, this is what it really means, be diligent. It's sometimes translated study, like in the King James, study to show yourself approved to God. The idea is be diligent. And by the way, uh, it, it, this is a process of searching inquiry. You know, this is not, uh, I, I realize that study is a, a bit of a subjective word at times. Right? One man's study is another man's sloth. Someone goes, oh, I was studying, and all they did is Google an idea and, you know, get an answer. We're not talking about that, okay? So some people study is, uh, I'm studying, and within five minutes, they're scrolling through reels on social media, you know? No, this is be diligent. This is study to, and make haste to do it. Be quick and, and, and eager about it. You make every effort. You're not just throwing something together. It's diligence for the glory of God. That you would do what is acceptable to God. That you would do what pleases God. That you would do what make God, that make God happy. Like He's pleased with this. So what is it? It says to present yourself. Literally, to stand at attention before God. 
to, to give an account before God, to, 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 be, to be approved to God. If you want a degree, go get a, a degree of AUG, the degree of approved unto God. It, the idea is approved after testing, that you would stand before God and that he would be pleased. But it, you've been tested. Look at all the products that need to be tested vigorously and stringently before they can go to the public. Here, you are to be a workman, literally a laborer, who is unashamed. won't shrink in shame in the presence of Jesus. You won't be put to shame. There's, there's no need to be ashamed. Why? Why would you be able to stand before God with a clear conscience? It's because you've been doing what honors God. Well, you're doing what God likes. What is it? Here it is. Look at verse 15. Accurately handling the word of God. So accurately handling God's word. It literally means to rightly divide it. To cut a straight line. To cut a straight road. It's a metaphor. If you, if you were a farmer, it would be the plowing of a straight furrow with which to put seeds into. If you were a road cutter, you would cut a road straight. We were driving to a, a wedding just yesterday out in the boonies somewhere and Angela asked me at one point, she goes, how much longer will we be on this winding road? This is about a a road cutter cutting a road straight. If you were a stonemason, you were squaring and cutting a stone to fit in its exact proper place. This word was used of cutting a sacrifice or a food for household use. It's a very precise and careful action. You are to accurately handle the word. God's speech that he gave to us, his exhortation, his instruction, his, his message. He's speaking of the written word of God. He, he gave it to us. He meant for us to have it. He, he intended to communicate something. You don't just go and you know, come up to someone that you want to give a message to and start babbling You give them what you want them to have. And what God has given us is of utmost importance. It's not optional. It's essential. And it's in your hands right now. And and, and God is saying you be precise with it. You be careful with it. You you be straight with it. A church or a Christian that handles the word of God loosely doesn't fear the God they say they worship. What you are to do is to do intelligent, hard work where you get to the meaning of the text, where where you take context into account and grammar, and, and you get the intent, where you land on what the divine author God meant as he moved the human author to write. What does it say? But what does it mean? As as Paul had told Timothy earlier in this chapter. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is important. And 2 Peter tells us there is no prophecy was a matter of one's own interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of God. And what God is commanding here is an accurate handling of his word to be done. Precise. It's like when you're telling your kids, like, 
you know, be careful with those scissors. Be careful with those sharp knives. Be careful with those machines that cut. I've had too many friends that are, are missing parts of their fingers because they weren't you know, hyper-careful around machines that cut. So this is not a game, folks. When we're dealing with the Word of God, I think sometimes we have so many Bibles around that we don't treasure the Word of God. That it's so common to us that we treat it commonly. God commands accurate handling to be done. Literally handle with care because it's like you're playing with fire. It's like you're handling a grenade. This devastating, consuming, you know, fire of, of the glory of God seen in the scriptures. This is like Raiders of the Lost Ark, face-melting, all-encompassing glory of God. And, and where is it most clearly revealed? The Word of God. Most clearly revealed in Scripture, from the Old Testament promise to sending Christ to the New Testament, considering Jesus Christ, there's consistent message throughout the Scriptures of a holy God working to redeem fallen, you know, foolish, sinful, unfaithful man. And a holy God that continues to speak to his people, directing and guiding by his word. And the people were continually unfaithful. You go through the whole Old Testament. They're continually unfaithful. They're not hearing the word. They're not doing the word. In Jeremiah 23, we read these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, do not listen to the words of the false prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. He says, I didn't send those prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, they, but they prophesied. God says, if they had stood in my counsel, that they would have proclaimed my words to my people. They would have turned them from their evil way. They would have turned them from the evil of their deeds. And then God says this, Is not my word like fire? Like a hammer that breaks the rock and smashes it in pieces. God says, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their, their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. They didn't profit the people at all. He says, just stop saying the burden of the Lord. Mention it no more. For the burden is every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. You see it consistently in the Old Testament. You see it consistently today. Sinful ones not able to do this word. You hear it over and over in the Old Testament. Consistently, sinful ones, you will not be able to do this word. Not in your own strength. In Zechariah 4, it says, Not by might, nor by power, not by human effort, not by human ingenuity, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We read over and over again, Salvation is not going to be accomplished by man, but by God becoming man. Where you see your sin, you see your need for a Savior, 
your, your, your need for absolute dependence on God and you glorify God by believing in Jesus. Even the, the faithful remnant of old followed the word of God. They wanted to handle it accurately. And when they sinned, they admitted it. When they mishandled it, they changed their ways or paid the penalty. But it was by the grace of God if they did. And it is by the grace of God that we proceed, that we would even open up our Bibles, not mishandling and manipulating it out of context, not enamored with our own ideas, not elevating our understanding and mutilating the text. I mean, think about it. You can go write a book. Go write your own book. And you can tell everyone what it means. Go write your own book. Do whatever you want. Put whatever you want in it. You can dictate what it means. Tell everybody what it means. But you are not free to do that with the word of God. Sometimes I think that we who are so fixed up on the word of God, we get accused of worshiping the Bible. Nothing could be further from the truth. We worship Jesus. We worship the God of the Bible. We follow him. And we know that what he said to us and he gave it to us in the word, is of utmost importance. And by the way, I was talking to a friend recently, and we both said, you know, I would rather have Jesus say, you gave me too much credit than you stole my glory. God is glorified when you read the word, when you discuss the word, when you study the Bible, which, by the way, it's not brain surgery, it's not rocket science, but it's not easy either. What, What good thing in life is easy? If you don't know how to study the Bible, anyone in our leadership team would love to show you how to study the Bible. We've even put videos together that you could be helped by, where you can engage in expositional study, and, and, and this is what we do, expositional preaching, and we want to have expositional li- living, that we want to read the word, explain the word, exhort with the word, apply it, where we want to deal in exegesis, where the message comes from the text, not eisegesis, where we press our our ideas into the text, where we read our ideas into the text. We're not dealing with bibliolatry here. We're worshiping God as we cling to his word, his sanctifying, his saving truth. He gave it to us. It should shape us. We shouldn't be shaping the word. We need to know it. You rely upon it. You survive and thrive by it. Just savor the words of scripture. Helpful to us and beneficial to us and guides us and leads us and revives our hearts and converts our souls and renews our minds. It wakes up the dead. There's a lot of people who will say, you know, life is so hard. Why is God doing this? What we should be saying is, God is so good. And I know why life is so hard. God sent Jesus to deal with my sin so that I could be saved. Where you see your sin and your profound need and you see Jesus as the answer, God's solution to your problem when you know this world does not satisfy and it will not satisfy and you were made for a different world, you were made for another world and that the word of God is the window into that other world. You know how books and movies don't always agree? Like you read a book and they make it into a movie and you're like, well, sounds like a completely different story. Well, God's word always agrees with itself and it will hold true in your life. It's eternal 
It's absolute. It is sufficient. I mean, there's a lot of people who know God. You might be this, in this camp. You know God. You know Jesus. You're, you're a Christian. But you're word deficient. You're word deficient. You don't know the word. You need the word more than, you, than you're getting it. And, and you're not hearing it. You're not doing it. It's like when you have vitamin deficiency. You know, you gotta, sometimes your body doesn't absorb what is coming in. You've got to pound the nutrients. Well, you need your heart engaged with the truth where you would love it. Where you, you, would, you would love the truth and not press unintended meanings in. Where, you know, a, a shaky handling of Scripture just causes people to swerve. To swerve from the truth. You wander. You take a wrong turn, you find out miles down the road, you went, you're not going the direction you were intended to go. But if you would glorify God, you will honor his word. The preeminence of Jesus, the living word, presumes the priority of the written word. What did Jesus do? Let's just follow the example of Jesus, shall we? Jesus closely linked himself to scripture. Jesus, without apology, nothing except this is the way it is, closely linked himself to Scripture. So to love Jesus is to obey Scripture. To obey Jesus is to love the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that living Word said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he was talking about the written scriptures. He was speaking of the written, God-breathed word of God, the theopneustos, God-breathed, God-given word. That's what he was referring to. And Jesus held it in high esteem. He, it reveals him. It reveals that Jesus purchased his church with his precious blood. And he founded it upon his precious shed blood. And, and so we must happily, faithfully joyfully follow the written word of God. As Ephesians 2.20 tells us, the, 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 the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, speaking of the word of God. Hebrews 1 says, God has spoken to us in many portions and in many ways through the prophets, and in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. It's speaking of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the scriptures. That the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. The son sent the spirit. The spirit indwells believers. The spirit leads us into all the truth. He discloses what Jesus gave. He gave, uh, gives understanding. He illumines the word of the Spirit. does not speak on his own initiative. But what he hears from the Father is what Jesus said. He will, he will, the Spirit will not exceed the written word. He gave it. God greater than anything. Above all. And his word is eternal. Is, so you have to work hard to get the meaning of the word he gave. That you worship the preeminent Christ the living word made flesh, who always upheld the written word. What, what did Jesus say about the written word? It testifies of me. The scriptures testify of me. I think it's, it's saddening to me, it's striking that people will say all day long, oh, the Bible's inspired. It's from God. They'll say all day long the Bible is inerrant. It won't lead you astray. But they won't bring themselves, they can't bring themselves to say and practice, it is sufficient. They, they just can't do it. They want to add something. They just don't think that God's revelation of himself is enough. And they're mistaken. They're deceived. 
Wandering about, it's like wandering about looking for food while a lavish feast sits ignored. I was at a wedding last night at an estate. It was beautiful. Food everywhere. I didn't have to go and forage. But the crux of the matter here is the sufficiency of the scriptures. That everything you know about God in a saving way, you only know from the written word of God. God doesn't download it to you. It's here. Well, creation, Psalm 19 tells us, creation will tell you in part about God's greatness and glory and immensity. But the written word of God tells you fully of his character, of his will, and of his saving ways. The first evidence in the book of Acts of the Spirit's presence in the church, what was it? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What happened? The Spirit of God opened up a school on Pentecost. You know, Jerusalem Bible School. Jerusalem Bible Institute. And the first class, 3,000 students. And, and all these new converts, they were, they were not enjoying this mystical experience of their own imagination. They were feasting on the scriptures, the mind of Christ. You know, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you say, I love Jesus. If you say, I'm a friend of Jesus. Those are three ways that Jesus described those he chose. He chosen, chose, and and who believe in him. Three ways he's described his followers. That only holds water. If you say, I I, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus, you know, I, I'm a friend of Jesus. That only holds water if you adhere closely and accurately to his word. You cannot say you love Jesus unless you obey him. That's according to Jesus. In John 14, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. In the same chapter, a few verses later, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In John 8, he says, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples. You are truly my followers. In John 15, he says, you are my friends. Want to be friends with Jesus? You are my friends if you do what I command you. It couldn't be clearer. You remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, according to the gospel, an accurate handling of the word of God, where you grasp the right meaning and get the correct interpretation. You know who he is. This is what every Christian should do. This is what every church should do. What should they do? Point to the Savior, not self. Or as Michael Reeves put it, don't flirt with Christ's bride. Work hard to handle the word accurately and not selfishly gather people around you. Handle the word accurately glorifies God. That's the first point. The second point is this. Handling the word accurately strengthens the church. You must seek to strengthen the faith of the church. See, the church is shaped by her teaching, either organic or organized. The body of teaching given, but everything the members say about the word. What you go out and say about the word of God. Like, your words matter. This is why in the tight context of this passage, look what it says about words, okay? Look at verse 14. Because you're going to either strengthen or ruin. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, literally wrangle 
about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Don't quarrel, don't strive about words. No, you hold firmly to the word. So like, don't wage a word war. Now this is about stopping an action in process. Like, stop doing what you're doing. Now, the, the time we live in right now, I mean, this is a moment in time where there are 24-7 word wars being waged all the time. And what happens, it becomes a subtle deception. It chips away. It fosters a low view of God and a high view of man. In verse 16, we'll tell you, even about words, you will lead to godliness or ungodliness. It's all in the tight context. It's about words. Your words and God's word. Look at verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So avoid it. Turn around from it. Turn back from it. Turn your back on it. It's interesting. Nowadays, useless talk is just seen as part of life. Not back in the first century. In the first century, useless talk was considered unacceptable because it was caused by a sickness in someone's soul. It's, that's true today, by the way. It's a sickness of soul that infects other people. You're going to have the faithful word or there'll be empty talking. And then verse 17, you'll be either like a disease or you will give the cure. Look at verse 17. Their talk will spread like gangrene. See the word gangrene, you're like, whoa, bad. I don't want gangrene. You don't even know what it is. You're like, I don't want it. <laughs> gangrene, oh man. Nobody wants gangrene, right? Of course you don't want gangrene. But their talk, it says, will spread like gangrene. Their instruction, their exhortation, their message, their teaching, their, their words will, will spread like gangrene. Now, some people, uh, the King James uh, translated it cancer. It's not cancer, okay? Maybe canker, but not cancer. You know, K KJV, their word will eat as doth a cancer. No, that's not what gangrene is. You know, oh, let me tell you what gangrene is, okay? Here it is, ready? It's a disease causing death of your bodily tissues due to a lack of blood flow or serious bacterial infection. Let me continue. Gangrene feeds upon your flesh. It inflames, it kills, it spreads swiftly, and it endangers your whole body, and it must be stopped. It corrupts, it consumes, it spreads, it attaches itself to adjoining body parts, and it's rarely cured without amputation. You don't want gangrene. Under a microscope, gangrene is, is discovered to contain countless little worms that attack your body. That's pretty gross, isn't it? <laughs> but it's used figuratively here for false teachings which destroy people who accept them. Literally empty speeches that violate what is holy. The word of God is holy. Your Bible says Holy Bible on it. It's because it is. Now, as gangrene is dangerous to the human body, false doctrine and ungodly speech harms the church body. It introduces spiritual disease. And the talk of false teachers spreads throughout the body of believers, causing a lot of pain. This illustrates how sneaky and how insidious falsehood is. And it's more mainstream than you think. And it undermines the unsound words that spread and attack other parts and eat away and errors and heresies of even false teachers weasel and worm their way in and, and spread and feed upon the souls of men. 
and it brings destruction and death. It was even so serious that Paul had to call out two men that were trafficking in these kind of lies. In fact, verses 17 and 18 tells us, you're going to stay in the lane of truth or you'll swerve from it. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. He specifically mentions them, these gangrene-like false teachers. Two main false teachers spreading error. And, and Hymenaeus has already been mentioned in 1 Timothy. He and Alexander, who Paul says, I handed over to Satan that they would be taught not to blaspheme. Pretty serious stuff. He mentioned them by name so that Timothy might either avoid or correct them. They made shipwreck of their faith. Verse 18 says, they've swerved from the truth. Swerved. Saying, the resurrection has already happened. Now, you might say, what, what's wrong with that teaching? Well, it's inaccurate. It doesn't honor God. It hurt the church. Uh, that, that idea of the resurrection has already happened was a Gnostic belief that denied the future bodily resurrection of Christians. They said a spiritual resurrection happened at conversion. Which What did it do? The upshot of it, the result in the church, was there was an overemphasis on present life experience. Sound familiar? Very common today. Many people overemphasize their experience in life over their eternal hope. You don't want to be called out like that. I mean, if, you, if you're making a point, by the way, a habit of pointing out supposed contradictions in Scripture, and you're not trying to reconcile them, you're just disbelieving what God gave us as his perfect word without error, it shows that your heart is corrupt and filled with malice against the word of God and therefore in opposition to God. Like if you're trying to disprove what the Bible clearly says, you're fighting against God and you're swerving from the truth. You know, we just drove 2,000 miles across country taking Sophia to school and you don't know how many times I saw cars, the people texting as they're driving and just swerving, kind of like just meandering around down the road. I don't think it was ever us, but I know I saw other people doing it. But some people, they undermine Scripture with their questions and their challenges. But there are other people with a good heart who genuinely struggle to understand the Word, and they struggle with questions and doubts. Different. Like if you are you know, genuinely struggling with with a, a biblical doctrine, we'll struggle with you. We, we want to help point you to truth and pray with you that God gives you confidence in his word. That's different than the person who's actively trying to undermine God's word by their questions and looking to sow seeds of doubt and confusion in others. If you're struggling with a certain doctrine, you're not necessarily swerving. Just welcome to, to being human. And, you know, some doctrines are difficult to grasp. A lot of people, they will struggle with wrapping their minds around some things that are clearly taught in Scripture, but are hard to understand, like the doctrine of election, like predestination. And this is where you and I have an opportunity. We can pray for a soft heart to submit to something that might not always make sense to us. Like, you don't want to wait for something to make sense in the Bible before you believe it. 
You don't want something in the Bible. Uh, you don't want to wait to receive it until you make sense out of it. You want to believe because God says it. And then when you do that in time, I found that he grants greater understanding. Because even as verse 18 tells us, we're going to strengthen faith or upset it. What he says about these two men is they're upsetting the faith of some. They're corrupting some people's faith. They're subverting some people's faith. People are getting led astray and those in error are going to be found out eventually. But and one day fully obvious to all, but, but they will take some people with them. And what you need to do is continue in a word-driven life. Get conditioned to solid food and be a doer, not merely a hearer of the word, as James puts it. That everyone should be quick to hear the word of God, slow to speak, a word against God, slow to anger toward God. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And James goes on, be doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive themselves. Like you want to just close the knowing and doing gap. Because here's why. The, the, the body thrives on the word rightly handled. The body rots if it's infected by foolish, faithless, false ideas, like a spreading like a fungus corrupting. You know, you can't always see it grow, growing, but you see the damage later. I remember once we first moved into our house, I, was, uh, I, I, I found some termite damage uh, the hard way. I was just standing in a room and I leaned my hand against a windowsill and it caved in on me because they painted over the termite damage. You, know, you don't always see the rot going on. You just have to make sure this. If you're a Christian, if you, if you believe Jesus, you need to make sure that you're handling the word accurately and not be like many in the professing church that have let the Bible go for man's ideas. It isn't up for grabs. Pilgrim's progress. Pilgrim left his scroll behind. He had to do some makeup. He had to retrace his steps. He had to repent of that. So don't choose your view over the word of God. Don't act like the authority. Don't reframe the word to fit your mind. Someone even said this to me once. A friend of mine said this to me once, said this, and I think it's pretty sick, but he said this. God gave us his word and the spirit. They complement each other, but the spirit far exceeds the written word that has been passed down, and therefore the spirit confirms to me this teaching, and they were, they were bringing a false teaching. He said, well, the spirit confirmed it to me, so I'm good. Here's what Jesus said about that. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The spirit will glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You're going to take the word of God and declare it. I'll give you understanding. You know, Jesus, the apostles, they handled the word of God accurately. The word means what it says. It's the words, the grammar matters. It really happened. It's not imaginary. What God intended to communicate by the words of Scripture, he did. And he's not the author of confusion. There is one meaning for each thing he taught. There is one meaning, one interpretation for each thing given. But what happens when you go away from a solid handling of Scripture? You can make the Bible say whatever you want. And it's happening left and right. It's happened since the beginning of time. The Bible is the word of God. You trust God to help you understand it and help other people understand it, to illuminate it to our minds that we would not be confused. The truth always agrees with itself. 
Compare scripture with scripture. If you're, if you're confused here, go to some other scripture. It's going to help you not be confused. But false doctrines, they never agree with each other. 2 Peter 3.16 says, The ignorant and unstable twist or pervert the scriptures to their own destructions. What do you and I want to do? We want to glorify God. We want to strengthen the faith of the church. We want to give the world what it really needs. Which, by the way, we will not get to that point today. We'll focus that more intently next week because I'm going to stop right now as I see the time. But just trust that you got what God intended you to get today. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness, your patience with us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's yours. And you've given it to us, but it's not ours, it's yours. And you use it to save us and sanctify us. And may may we just glorify you because of it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And we come remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We come remembering Jesus according to the gospel. We would not know unless God had given us his holy word. And we come today to do what Jesus told us to do, to take the bread and the cup and remember what he did in dying for our sins, in being our substitute, in taking our sins upon himself and and knowing that We were lost and under the wrath of God. If you're a Christian today, you know you were lost and under the wrath of God. You were without hope, without God in the world, and God opened your eyes to the gospel truth. You didn't save yourself. Jesus died in your place as your substitute. You, You knew, you got to the end of yourself, whether you were young or old when you came to faith in Christ, and you knew Without a doubt, you were convicted of your sins. You were convinced of the truth of the gospel. And so you believed in the Lord Jesus and and you're saved. And you're being saved. God is sanctifying you. This is who should be remembering this today. If you're not a Christian, my prayer would be that you would come to faith in Christ today. But if you are a believer, this is for you. You don't have to be a member of Grace Church. You need to be a member of the worldwide body of Christ, a real Christian a real Christian who's trusting in Jesus and not themselves. According to the word of God, and so Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. He did this before the cross. He said, I'm going to be dying in your place. You're going to remember me by this. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. We would be thanking Jesus even now, right this moment, for dying in our place on the cross, for taking the punishment our sins deserve, for for shedding his precious blood by which we can be cleansed from our sins. After supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant, the promised new covenant. God's unilateral covenant with every believer the great exchange, our sin for his righteousness, security in Christ forever. Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your great sacrifice in our place. 
Thank you for giving us your word that tells you of this great, tells us of this great sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that you gave this for your church to do until you come again. That as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. Come, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to close with the chorus we learned. going to trust that you got what God wanted you to get today. I cut that sermon off in the middle, first hour and second hour on purpose, second hour, not on purpose, first hour. Um, what that means on this, this four-week sermon series is that um, there's going to be five weeks, okay? <laughs> you can do the math, okay? <laughs> uh, what it means is that the, 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 the sermon I'm going to preach, that I was going to preach next week on what to do when someone leaves the faith won't be done until uh, September 3rd. So that'll come up on September 3rd, okay? Um, all right, uh, a couple announcements, a few announcements. There's a membership class this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. right here. If you're a regular uh, part of Grace Church and you're not a member yet, come on, all right? Let's do this. Uh, secondly, the missions course starts September 19th, and uh, we're making a big deal about it because missions is a big deal. Uh, you'll find all sorts of uh, discount codes. I think you can get 10% off. If you're high school or college, you can get 30% off because you're so special. And if you have three people from your family uh, paid to go, the rest of the family goes for free. So bring like your family of 25 people, I guess. Um, uh, if they're all, you know, your kids. So um, also, really, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Join me and the rest of our leadership at this uh, six-week course on Tuesday nights. We're doing Taco Tuesdays every Tuesday for, for six weeks. Like, wow, that's awesome. Um, but the missions course will be better. Uh, Grace Orange Academy uh, registration open until August 31st. Kids going into fourth to 12th grade. Men's and women's retreats coming up in the fall. Men, sign up, get your Eternal Glory t-shirt. Uh, if you keep hearing about us uh, having mission trips going, and you heard about the one that Simon Goodyear is leading to Cambodia, uh, October 1 to 19, and you think, you know, I wonder, should I, should I even dare try to do that? Or maybe you go, oh, I would never do that. I just want, whether you're either one of those people, go talk to Simon. He'll be out on the plaza. 
go talk to him. Just tell me what happens after that, okay? So, and then other things are happening. Women of the Word, Men of the Word, Adventure Club for Kids, Midweek Service, all coming back in the fall. So let's close with Acts 20, verse 32, shall we? And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, we worship you. Use us for your glory now. In Jesus' name, amen. Sovereign in the 